We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. And welcome back to Dear Prudence. As always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. We have a very special show today as it's a recording from the first stop on my recent Dear Prudence and Friends tour. It was recorded live at the Soil Dove Underground in Denver, Colorado on March 6, 2019. I was joined by Nicole Cliff, who currently writes for Slate's Care and Feeding Advice column, and she was also my former partner at The Toast. Let's join the show. Hello, Denver. Welcome. Thank you all so much for coming to the first uh, live show of the 2019 tour and uh, my first Dear Prudence live show as a gentleman, um, which is very exciting. Nicole Nicole has decided to re-up her gender for another year. I'm just sticking with it for a while longer. I just think it's fantastic. When the contract's that good, why renegotiate? Um, I'm so, so, so glad um, that Nicole is the first person that we're starting this with because um, the the first time I ever did an advice column was with Nicole and it was back at the toast and it was mostly just telling people to stop talking to their mothers and break up with their boyfriends and very little has changed. That's all it is. That's the whole advice game. That's all so much of it is. So if any of you tonight maybe came here with a sort of unsettling, nagging feeling of what's not right in my life, Maybe you should stop talking to your mother. <laughs> Maybe she's a wonderful woman. I don't know. Uh, but I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that we have printouts of all the questions. I'm so sorry that we're starting with the one that we're starting with because it's really heavy. It's a stone cold bummer. The other ones are more, you know, kind of, oh, I'm glad that's not my problem. But this one is, is, is we're starting off with a hard one and then we're just going to work our way up from there. So uh, I will read our first letter because that just feels like the right thing to do. Subject is, help me please. Dear Prudence, where do I start? I seem to have lost the zest for life. I feel like my life is nowhere near where I wanted it to be. I'm 23 years old. I have a great family, the cutest little nephew, and an amazing girlfriend, yet I can't seem to enjoy any of it. Whenever I feel there is, whatever I feel is there for the moment and then dissipates into thin air and I'm left emotionally dry again. It just feels like whenever I have a second to think, my mind starts going through this cycle where I essentially end up thinking about myself as worthless, pathetic, and as someone who's just not meant to be alive. I know this is a problem, but I'm way too scared to say it out loud. I feel like if I do, my worst fears will come true and I'll push the people close to me away. In a way, you could say I'm alone already having to deal with these conflicting thoughts on a daily basis. Religion honestly just adds to it. I find myself questioning every decision I make or am going to make to the extent that most times I don't act on it out of anxiety for the outcomes. What can I do? Feels like my life is already over and I'm still so young. I've been trying to stop smoking cigarettes for almost two years, but it's impossible. Every time I start to overthink, I end up having a cigarette to calm my nerves. Financially speaking, I'm no better. I cannot, for the love of all things good, save money. Is there no way to combat the lack of willpower I have? Because maybe it might just be that this is what's causing this ripple effect of uselessness and worthlessness that I feel 24-7. Maybe it would be better if everything was over. At least that way, people would have great memories left of me instead of me as such a worthless person. Sometimes I even find myself questioning myself whether it was a mistake that I'm alive. Thanks for taking the time to read this. So this one has just been in my inbox for a really long time. And I think that's part of why I I chose it for the live show. just because it has sat with me. Like, I, I, I want to find this person and just hug them before we say anything. Um, 
but it, it, this is so heavy and so deep and there's, there's so many different elements to it. And I'm so glad that this person sat and wrote this all down. Um, because so much of the problem right now is this thought, the sense of like, if I acknowledge this in any way, my life will get worse. Um, and that is, I think, one of the lies that I don't want to diagnose this person with depression, but whatever this particular voice is, this kind of self-loathing, this kind of depression-adjacent fear, part of what that voice does is say, the worst thing that you can do is tell anybody about this, um, because then you will have the same problem, but you'll also have clarity that asking for help doesn't work. Right? No, I think that's uh, completely true. Uh, I was going to toss in, don't try to quit smoking right now. Yeah. You can, you can kick just, that can down the road. Like, just in the, the realm of the things you're dealing with, like, emotionally, psychologically, like, just, I, just cool it. If it's making you feel better, just go with it for a while longer. You know, you have all the time in the world, ideally, you know, to cope with this issue. And that is, you don't need to be, like, edgy and upset and anxious extra yeah. during this time period. I, I, you you know, have I, my I, permission to smoke. I, I, as somebody who has spent, like, a lot of his adult life trying to quit smoking, I, I definitely don't want to make light of that either because I know that it can be bad for your health, but like when you are in crisis mode of, I want to die most of the time, and I haven't really told anybody about it yet, if cigarettes are kind of the one thing helping you get through those moments of overthinking, let that one sit. That, you know, our goal right now is keep you alive long enough to tell the people that love you what you need and to try to get help. So obviously I think it's a good idea to tell the people in your life about this, and even to start with. I have not wanted to talk about this with you because I have felt like as soon as I mention it, I'll have proof that I'm not like other people um, and that I'm a burden to be around. And I think it can help to pick one person to start with, maybe not a relative, maybe not somebody um, that you feel a little iffy about, um, but to start with somebody. Uh, because once you say it and they don't run away in horror, uh, that can help make it feel like people know me. I'm not living this like, horrible bubble of alienation. Like, um, I, I'm not suggesting that this person is trans, but like one of the things that reminded me of this letter was that feeling that I had when I was thinking the most about transition, but also like I can't transition. And more than I can't transition, I can't tell anyone in my life I'm thinking about it. So I felt a lot of the time like this just like big balloon floating away. Like I would have interactions with people and I would feel not only the pain of like, I'd sure like to transition, um, but also the sense of like, they think we're having a normal interaction and that I'm happy. And that is so far from reality that I just feel like a totally divorced from reality. And that's a horrible way to feel. So not that you should transition, but sometimes if you... <laughs> it worked great. You know, like sometimes that's a reason the future feels uh, pointless. Um, but probably not. But so tell somebody in your life that you love. Find a therapist. I was going to say, uh, even prior to talking to someone in your life, um, because this seems so overwhelming to them right now, I would recommend an online support group mm -hmm. first. Um, just to have the experience of talking through it with people where this, you, you, you don't have to be looking at them. You know, you don't have to be uh, reacting to their reactions. Yep. Um, and in return, you know, they don't have to, like, perform okay, okay for you in right. that same way. Um, I know finances are mentioned as an issue in here. Um, and so uh, I think this person absolutely does need professional help. Mm -hmm. uh, as Danny said, we can't go around diagnosing people. Um, but I think it's, it's pretty clear from reading the letter that um, if there's any sense in which this person worries like, oh, I'm just not coping well with my mid-20s, I'm just bad at it in a you way know. other people aren't. No, like you have some mental health um, issues which are uh, stopping you support. from... Yeah, yeah, it's stopping you from flourishing as a human being. Yeah, don't think like this is just the mid-20s blues. This is way more serious than that. So look for sliding scale um, therapists. Uh, you know, in your region. Um, there are also, uh, you know, a variety of places where there are therapists in training um, where you can get more help. You can also do uh, online therapy via Skype in areas, if you, know, if, you, if you live in some place where there aren't a lot of great options. But just try not to let those barriers seem like they can keep you from accessing the mental health care you need. 
Because you definitely need it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add two more things to that. Um, one of them is I care about this letter writer, and I do not want them to. I don't know what the number is here. I don't want you to get fifty-one fiftied. That's what it is in the state of California. Yes. Um, sometimes, if you share with people that you are thinking about or struggle with thoughts of harm, harming yourself, um, well-intentioned people uh, might call the state in, and that in my experience and my experience with other people is not helpful when somebody is committed against their will. Usually um, it's pretty traumatic. And so I would say not that you need to do a ton of editing, um, but uh, it, make it clear when you share this with somebody in your life, um, I need help in dealing with these on an ongoing basis. I am not um, at risk of hurting other people or myself and I mm -hmm. wanna make that really clear. Um, even if that is a little bit, you're not 100% sure about how you feel about that, I just really don't want you in a situation where you try to disclose to someone that you need help and they call the cops on you. Particularly because this person, I feel, um, to the extent they mention suicidal um, ideation, um, it's almost in a more existential sense. It's, it's, it's passive. It's, it does not yeah, sound like I have a plan and mm -hmm, I'm ready to exactly. carry through it, which I, I also want to be clear. I'm not saying that there's never a case in which mm -hmm. somebody is at at risk, I just I want to be really careful for you. And then the other one is, your goal right now is not to get to joy, contentedness, and purpose. Yes. Your, your goal right now is to be known. Your goal right now is make sure that at least a small group of people in your life know what's going on with you. That's it. Um, and, and I think that's achievable. Um, and I think that that means you'll be able to start talking about it. And you haven't done that before so that's going to be really new and that does not mean that if you're not happy in two months or two weeks that you did something wrong um, it just means like keep your goals um, like something that you can you can see in your future like you can imagine happening and I can see a version of your life where a year from now things look really really different I don't know how you'll get there um, and so I don't want you to think about that year just yet I want you to picture like a month from now a version of my life exists where my girlfriend and a good friend of mine and maybe a relative know that I'm struggling and they sometimes check in with me and maybe I occasionally like write down things that bother me and I look for patterns. Um, so, so the next phase of your life is really just gonna be kind of like fact finding about yourself in terms of like, are there particular times of day that I feel the worst? Are there particular um, like people, places or things that bring up these feelings of self-loathing? Um, are there particular versions of the future that feel the most terrifying? And, and try to look for patterns. And I don't know what they're gonna be, um, but I, I do know that if you pay a lot of attention to that and ask yourself those questions, you'll find out something that you don't yet know. Um, and I think that will be a good thing. Um, I also suggest that once they are in a better place, like a significantly better place, and that their housing allows it, they should get two kittens. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that that's just generally that's advice I think is good for, for many people but um, with the particular uh, degree of just like uh, alienation and aloneness yeah. I see in this um, I just think this person might be able to benefit from having two kittens yeah and if you know if the idea sounds terrible to you you're not bound by it but oh no like if they're like oh I don't like cats or I'm allergic said, sure but like if the idea of like well today two little furry things need me to stay alive and that makes me feel useful and a part of something, that's really, really good, and I want that for you. So if that idea strikes any sense of like, oh, I could do that, do it. Um, I have no pets right now, I want a pet real bad. <laughs> I'm between pets for the first time in a very long time, and if anyone has two kids, no, no, Grace <laughs> is allergic. Um, yeah, okay, so that was, that was a really rough run. Uh, yeah. I, I love you, first letter writer, and uh, we're just gonna keep you in our minds as we move ahead to some different problems. I agree. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, would you like me to go ahead and read oh, the I second sure would. one? The second one is very straightforward. <laughs> Emphasis on straight. At least for me. Subject, relationship purgatory. Dear Prudence, 
I have been seeing a man for five months now, and I'm beginning to think that we will just never end up going anywhere. We are both in our mid-20s and let each other know that we were looking for a relationship when we started dating. We have met each other's friends, talked about our individual goals for the future, and have been enjoying one another's company since the beginning. The one issue is we still have not defined what we are. About three months in, I raised the conversation, and he was a very attentive listener <laughs> and let me know he could see a relationship in the future, but he was not ready yet due to being underemployed at the moment. I was a bit confused on how that meant one could not define our exclusivity and let him know that I was okay with that for now, but would need more eventually. <laughs> it has now been two months since that conversation, and while we seem to be progressing and spending more time together incorporating each other into our lives, he has still not verbalized our relationship status. While I know he is still in the midst of looking for a more permanent full-time job, I can't help but think that if he is unable to quote-unquote commit now, then he probably never will be. I like him a lot and can personally see a future with him, but I'm not sure exactly how to enter into this conversation raising my concerns without seeming needy or inconsiderate about his stress relating to his job search. I know some people don't need labels, but for me personally, we are about to reach six months together and it is important to me to know where we stand. Any advice? Um, I think she should break up with him. Yeah, let's, we'll start there, obviously. Um, one thing that I think is fair to acknowledge is both you and I are in relationships that began with very clear, definite declarations of intent. Like oh, Very much so. On our first date, I said, just so you know, and this was just like a platonic hang, like it wasn't officially a date. I said, just so you know, I plan on getting married in the next two to three years and having a baby within five. And very shortly after that, Steve said to you, you know, I think that you and I should get very seriously involved and probably married. And then we did. Uh, we got three kids. Whereas my relationship with Grace, uh, we were friends for a long time, and then one day she said to me, I think you should kiss me, and I think that should be the start of an adventure. <laughs> and I said, let me make a phone call. And we did, and now we are affianced. So, you know, again, I, I would say I, I've been in a number of relationships in my adult life. Um, the ones where it was clear from the beginning what we meant to each other, you know, even though we would all later break up, that part was never difficult. The relationships where it started out like, what are we, we're going back and forth, it's always unclear to me, it stayed that way constantly. I was sort of involved with the same guy a little bit from when I was 17 to 25. And by a little bit, I mean like I was involved with him from 17 to 25 and he was involved with me from like 17 and then briefly at 21 and then briefly at 25. Which is the worst. But like I was, yeah, I was doing a lot of like, what's going, it, like I, I do hate it when stuff boils down to like that cheesy, like he's just not that into you book. But it was a bestseller for a reason. I, I bought it and read it. I bought it and read it, and I was like, this is so true. But also, if he ever calls. <laughs> no, I also think, I feel very strongly that, you know, and your mileage can very much vary on this. There are people who have, like, rocky beginnings and then things smooth out. But generally, I feel, if you are five months into a relationship, which is important to you, and you have a bunch of problems in the relationship... Like, it just, just cut it. Yeah. Go, like, you should be in the having sex constantly, like, sketching each other. I love, by the way, like, I love how easy stage. this crowd is to please. Like, we're getting great applause with, like, break up. No, you're great. You're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I'm but, feeling a lot of just, like, warmth. Which is good. And it also means that we're going to get overconfident. We're just going to start saying really Wild out of pocket stuff. stuff. Um, but, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you don't have to be, um, like, angry about it. You can just be like you know what, I think five months with me is long enough to know whether or not you're pretty excited about seeing me exclusively. And if you're not sure, that feels like a pretty clear answer. Please give me a call if you ever change your mind, but I'm done. Um, I actually did that one time, and it worked, by the way. We are not wow. still together, but it did work. And it was like so wonderful to be like, hey, thank you for letting me know you are not ready to stop seeing other people. I've decided I am, so let's just not see each other anymore. And the person was like, whoa, 
wow, I didn't, okay, well, if that's, if you feel so strongly, then yes, absolutely. It later ended very badly, but that's not, <laughs> that doesn't matter. They'll do that. That, that was an unrelated thing. That different things happened. Like, the thing that I wanted was to, you know, not keep figuring it out after three months, because I thought, I'm starting to have feelings. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Three months is a good amount of time to decide whether or not you're on board with my deal. And so just go with that. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, I could kind of see a future, but don't. Like, I can see a future with most people. Absolutely. Like, I, I can roll with the punches pretty well. Like, if I were in an elevator with someone and someone was like, you're stuck with this person. Yeah. Like... I'd, I'd find a way. Of course, yeah. Like, you, you're probably just somebody who, like, always looks for, you know, the bright the side of things, and that's great, but that doesn't mean you have to make this guy... And it's just such a, like, until I have a job, I don't know if I want to be a boyfriend oh, or not. come on. That's a great way to, eight years from now, still be with someone who doesn't have a job and isn't your boyfriend. I guarantee the... That the ratio of time he is currently spending playing video games to actively searching for work is skewed. Like, to be clear, jobs can be really hard to find. It's a terrible economy. Um, jobs can be really hard to find. I don't want to suggest that, like, oh, if somebody isn't, like, a securities buyer or whatever, <laughs> that they're not worth dating. I just mean, if somebody says, due to my underemployment, I can't decide if I like you or not, mm. that's dumb and made up. You know, that's a, like, I don't want to move in together. That's sure. A, you know, but that's not a, I can't tell if I like you. Yeah, or even just, like, I actually feel really vulnerable right now. Having mm-hmm, a job mm-hmm. is a big part of my identity, and I'm really anxious about the future. Again, you can work with that. That's, like, vulnerable honesty about a feeling. That's fabulous. But, like, I don't know if I could date you, because I really just, I need a boss before I can do that. It's, like, it's stupid. Like a, a little lanyard with my IG stuck in it. Yeah, yeah. It's important to you to know where we stand. So my advice to you is to say it's important to me to know where we stand. Since you don't know, I'd like to end this relationship. But give me a call if you ever change your mind. And then either he'll give you a call or you find somebody else. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Could I actually go ahead and read the next one so I can give my advice? Oh, yes. Hell yes. Get in there. Thank you. (laughs) Subject, dog custody. Dear Prudence, uh, my boyfriend and his ex had a dog together. Uh, She currently can't care for it and lives in a no-pets apartment with other roommates. They've been broken up for a year. Uh, My boyfriend and I have been dating nine months. She makes a big fuss over missing her puppy, but she only comes over on weekends to play with the dog, never walks it, and hasn't made any moves to get a place that's dog-friendly. I've been suspicious for a while, but didn't want to be the pushy new girlfriend. Only this Valentine's Day, she barged in in a low-cut top, whimpering about being lonely and wanting to play with the dog. (laughs) My boyfriend and I had to interrupt our romantic dinner trying to deal with it. She blamed my boyfriend for not checking his texts. I know sabotage when I see it. (laughs) My boyfriend is good-hearted and believes his ex just loves the dog. No real dog lover would treat their beloved pet like this. What do I do now, and how do I talk to him about it? Um, So before... Danny gets to advice for this actual person. I just want to talk about dog custody for a minute. Uh, In general, uh, which is the only people who can do it are lesbians. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that like a a variety of queer people can pull this off as well. Um, My aunt and her lover shared this uh, tiny French poodle after they split up. And it was a nightmare, but they pulled it off because they process everything constantly, 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 constantly. Um, but uh, despite the fact they were very good at it, the poodle also started like digging at its vagina constantly and had to go on Paxil. Oh, no. um, I don't think it's good for dogs. I don't think dog custody is really uh, great. Um, I thought you meant Paxil. <laughs> I have no firm opinions on Paxil at this time. But I do about dog custody. I don't know. Like, th- there are situations where one person just has to take the hit of, I am 
losing this dog and this relationship, which is a terrible thing to decide. Um, if uh, this, I mean, it's very difficult at this point to be like, you can't come see the dog anymore. So what I would recommend is it seems like a, a more schedule-based system would really benefit these two people big time. Um, also, you and I backstage were talking about the barging in and the low-cut top situation. And the thing that occurred to us is, did your boyfriend like let her in? Because that's not barging in. That's like, he was like, come in on Valentine's Day, ex-girlfriend. Right, yeah. Like, the problem there would be, like, if she has a key, that's Does a problem. she have a key? If she let herself in, bad. Bad. But if she knocked on the door and your boyfriend didn't say, thanks for coming by. I'm having a romantic Valentine's dinner with my girlfriend, so you'll have to come back some other time. Then your, your boyfriend is the bad key. You know, like, <laughs> that's the problem there. Um, don't bring up the low-cutness of her top when you talk about it with him. Weird. He's already seen her breasts, you know? Like, <laughs> I, may, maybe she was using them sinisterly Maybe that's just what's on the front of her body. Um, which is such a weird Maybelline slogan. <laughs> Leave that part out of it. You, like, you have sufficient grounds to say, like, I would like you and your ex-girlfriend to hammer out a dog visiting schedule that does not involve like sometimes interrupting our dinners without bringing her clothes into it because he really doesn't have any grounds to ask her to dress differently when she comes by. I also feel uh, there's a lot of judgment towards the ex-girlfriend in the question. Sure. Like, anytime there was an opportunity to use an adjective, like, she makes a big fuss over... I know sabotage when I... Like, you seem like like you would like there to be sabotage, which is fine. I get it. I also am very dramatic. Drama is great. But when you are having this conversation with your boyfriend, I would literally write out what you're planning to say to him Mm -hmm. and then go through and circle anything that's like, could be replaced with, I think she's a bitch. Right. Because it's just not, it's not helpful. Like you need to separate your feelings out from, is this dog thing really aggravating or do I just like not want this woman in my life at all? And yeah, I, I, I think probably she really does love the dog. Um, I, I don't think she's necessarily like completely just using the dog as an excuse. She's also probably a slightly lazy like former dog owner, which is why your dog and your, your boyfriend <laughs> ended up with full time custody and not her. Like that doesn't mean she doesn't love the dog. That just means she's like lazy, which is fine and deeply relatable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will say like the reason custody agreements generally work is because they're like legally enforced. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's why, like, dog custody never works. Because it's always just like, oh, I have to trust that in four years I'll still feel like texting with my ex every week about the dog. Whereas, like, you go to jail if you don't honor your custody agreements with children. Like, don't, yeah, don't try to recreate human custody, which has all the force of law behind it, to just, like, I guess we'll text about this dog for eight years. That's not a good idea. I'm with you. Don't pick a person who gets the dog. Which is sad. This is just a random question before Danny does the next one. Is anyone here on a date tonight? I was just wondering if this is the sort of thing you would bring a date to. You don't. You do not have to answer that question. No, really, don't. Let that be pressure. You're not going to do audience interaction. It was just a simple like curiosity of mine if people were here in a date context because that'd be a great date. But it looks like people are here with their friends and their cool glasses. I think that's (laughs) terrific. Um, Yeah. Oh, subject. This is the next one, obviously. Um, I have nothing left to say about dogs. I cheated five years ago, but my husband won't stop reminding me about it. Dear Prudence, five years ago, when me and my now husband first started dating, I cheated on him after we'd been together for only two months. You should have done it two months earlier. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't have done it at all. He caught me. But despite this, he still proposed to me five months later. Ooh, I missed that the he first time around. He caught me. I was they just got thinking. engaged seven months into oh, dating. I was in the he caught me as opposed to oh. I stopped cheating organically. Yeah, I so did not. Have, wow. We have both picked up two very like. Yeah, this is. This you, letter is, is you a two palimpsest. Also like drama. It's a palimpsest. Oh, my. Thomas I, Hardy. I thought you said Tanya Harding at first. I was like. <laughs> 
did not know she wrote that. Please continue reading the letter. I said yes, because I thought we could get through the damage I had done, and I wanted to show him I'm not this person who lies and cheats. Oh, man, you should not get married to prove something to someone. I, I, five months later. You should have written to us five years ago. <laughs> Mistakes. I'm glad you are writing now. Um, Never too late. Now we are married and trying to have a baby. They haven't yet. They haven't had they haven't a baby yet. yet. No this, baby. Is no baby. this is good. This is good. This is good. Uh, but he still feels the need to throw at me from time to time that I cheated on him and ruined our trust. It usually happens when he's upset about something. Yeah. Uh, I have apologized many times for the pain I have caused him. I changed my phone number. I went off social media and have changed my life around for him. I am sick and tired of being reminded of the horrible person I was when we were first together because that's not me anymore. He's a great husband. Is he? And he does a lot of wonderful things for me. Like what? And I have thanked him for not giving up on us when he could have walked away. But does he have the right to keep throwing in my face what I did to him in the past? I don't want to lose what we have, what we have. but I'm getting to my breaking point. Please help. I will just assume he does some nice things. And you, couldn't, you didn't have time. Um, I, I need to hold on to that. Like I, I do need to hold on to that. Um. I, it is hard for me to read this and not believe that he enjoys having this thing to hold over her. Yeah. He proposed five months after the cheating. Yeah. You know, it puts her in a eternally vulnerable position. He wants to have this trump card. My advice um, remains the same, even though I do not think he is a, like, behaving as a good actor in this mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Like, I do not trust that he is putting, like, his whole heart into the situation, uh, my advice remains the same, which is that you need to sit down together, um, ideally with a couples therapist, um, and you need to say, like, this can't continue. What do you need for us to move on from this incident? Like, what would constitute closure for you? Is it something I can do? Is it something you can do? Is it possible for you to have it? Because the relationship cannot continue in its current form. like that episode of Sex and the City where Carrie extremely prematurely was like, Aiden, aren't you over it yet? Like, which had just happened. You know, but this has been five years. This is a very different situation. Yeah, and, and I think we do a lot of on this show, you should leave. But I think it's always good to spend a little time thinking about how. Um, right. And like, what are your other options? Like, when would you know you would need to leave? Mm-hmm. So I, I think to say to your husband, first of all, kids are off the table right now. Like, we're Nobody. not introducing a child into this situation. Or two kittens, for that matter. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah, any of those things. Um, but, but yeah, I think, like, as you said, just to do really straightforward, this isn't working for either one of us. Um, I, I, I don't want a marriage for you where um, this is so fresh um, and, and, like, unhealed that every time you get impatient with me or frustrated with me, you're reminded of this thing and you bring it up. I don't want that for you. I also don't want it for me because there's a limit to how much I can change in my mm-hmm. life in order to, um, for us to move on. So I want us to be able to move on from this. I, I would like that. If there's a way for us to do it, I hope we can find it. If not, um, if you cannot envision a marriage where this is not something that comes up every time we have a fight, that's not a marriage I can be in. Because I mean, just, you know, like picture kids Picture having kids 10 years from now and you like, I don't know, do something, thank you, horrible. Not even horrible. You do something like mildly irritating. And now you have a kid and your husband's like, remember that time you cheated on me 15 years ago? That's worse than now, right? Like that's awful. Um, and, And you have at least the power to, you know, figure out whether or not you have to walk away from this marriage before you have a kid with this guy. And anybody who is this like invested in punishing you forever is not somebody you want to have a kid with. I also, I don't super love the, so I understand changing phone number, um, going off social media though. Five years later, do you still need to be off social media and have changed my life around for him? I'm sick and tired of being reminded of the horrible person I was when we were first together. 
I just, I'm getting a real bad vibe off that. I am too. Like, I don't, you know, that horrible person you used to be thing, like that's something I'd want you to work out with a therapist. I don't think you're, you need to be thinking about the horrible person you used to be. And if that language is coming from you, that's worth addressing with a therapist. Yes. If that language is coming from him. And again, no, it's not great to cheat on somebody that you've been with for two months, but it's also very different from like, we've been together for 30 years and I slept with your best friend. Like, let's let's right-size this, okay? Like, this was a blip that he either should have at the time say, you know what, this relationship is done, or let's, you know spend some time figuring things out, not get married in five months. You shouldn't change your life around for someone you've been with for two months regardless. Yeah, so if the horrible person language is coming from him, I, I actually think you have evidence that um, he, he married you during that really vulnerable time because he thought, what a great opportunity to convince someone that she is the eternally bad partner and that she is always like, in the red when it comes to our relationship. And she always owes me. And I can always hold this over her head. And there's nothing she can ever do to get out of that. Because that is sick. And again, just like two months into your relationship, it doesn't match. It's, it's, it's not like you betrayed him after decades together. Um, that's, that's fucked up. Um, and so I think if the language is coming from him, skip the couples therapy. Go to therapy by yourself because this guy cannot be trusted and fucking leave him. And just don't ever go to therapy with an abuser, by the way. It's really a bad idea. Like yeah. It, that's, it's, any good therapist will tell you this, but it will be actively worse if you go to therapy with your abuser. They just learn a vocabulary um, that helps them further manipulate you. Go to solo therapy. Work through that. Um, I hope that doesn't come up for any of us. Yeah, and it's hard because it can be a little bit like, you know how you just like know right away if someone's abusing you. Right. Um, sometimes, often, it's really hard to realize that because it's usually somebody that you love and they often find ways to like twist your love for them into convincing them that they're right. So I don't want to just say that blithely. But... Get that Lundy Bancroft book. It's, it's really good. Which one is that? Uh, why does he do that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You recommended that to me around the time of The Gift of Fear, I think. And I, I like, sure was did. so stressed out by Gavin DeBecker that I just like, <laughs> could not add to that list. That is a serious man. He is a serious person. He write, I don't know if you guys are familiar with The Gift of Fear. It's, it's a little cheesy, but it's also very, it's got real stuff going on. And it's all this guy who's like, I have protected everyone in the business. I, Everyone in the world alive today is alive because of Gavin he's, DeBecker. He's very serious about personal safety. Olivia Newton-John is his best friend, and he will tell you about... He name drops constantly. It's so great. The one disclaimer I always use when... First of all, I think everyone should read The Gift of Fear. I give it to my nieces when they go to college. Because <laughs> I'm that aunt. Um, but I always say, like, uh, take the domestic violence chapter with, like, a grain of salt because, like, he grew up in a very particular situation, and it is, like... He is a, a little judgmental of people who do not leave quickly, which is a, a terrible uh, thing. Everything else is gold. Solid advice. Thank you for being that ant tonight. <laughs> would you please read this next letter? I sure would. Oh, boy. Walking it back after coming out. Dear Prudence, I'm a queer woman who was previously married to a straight man. We got divorced for a lot of reasons, but my family loved my husband, and I am a coward. Um, I always appreciate candor in these letters. So I let them believe my sexuality was the primary reason we were breaking up. I didn't think queer would be a word they understood, and my mom has loudly professed she thinks bisexuals do not exist. So to keep things simple, I said I was a lesbian. Well, it turns out that's not true. I have now been dating a trans man for some time. He is wonderful in every way, incredibly funny, and we've already seen each other through some difficult things. Our relationship is turning serious, and we're beginning to talk about introducing each other to our families. I have to admit that I'm scared about this conversation. Since my divorce, my parents have not asked about my dating life at all, and I have not offered any unsolicited information. But now I want to bring them back into that part of my life. However, I feel certain my mother will say something to indicate she's always thought I was just confused, 
and I'm not sure how my dad will react. He was supportive of the lesbian label in his quiet way, but I don't know what he thinks about trans people. My parents think of us as a close family in as much as we can be given our politics are so different, but we avoid talking about more serious topics unless we absolutely have to. I'm afraid of them invalidating both mine and my partner's identities. He does not identify as straight either, or even worse, asking invasive questions about our sex life. My mom already did this once when I first told her about my issues in my marriage. How do I protect my sense of identity and set up an environment to introduce my partner in a way that is as celebratory as it should be? Lots to unpack here. Oh, boy. Um, before we really dig into this, um, if you are not extremely online, uh, you may not know that uh, yesterday was uh, one of the most important things that has ever happened to bisexuals. Um, because Mr. Rogers is one of us. It was in a book. He said it straight out. He said, if these things were on a spectrum, he thought he'd be right in the middle because he was attracted to ladies and he was attracted to men. And that's great. Because he's the best person who ever lived. Okay, so anyway, your mom is wrong. Bisexuals exist because Mr. Rogers lived and you can't take that away from me. Just start with that. Get your mom that book. Um... I, I do not want to be too hard on this letter writer because I, I think oh, lots sure. of people have at various times in their life had a kind of moment where they thought, this identity? Maybe? Seems close. Let's try it out. And you don't always know. Uh, and sometimes things also genuinely change. I've certainly changed a lot. I've been a number of things. Um, so <laughs> I totally get that. But I, I do just want to acknowledge it sounds like this letter writer kind of knew at the time when she was like, yeah, lesbian, close enough. That, that she knew that that wasn't really true for her. And I, again, I don't want to say, like, therefore, it's your fault that your parents are, like, biphobic and transphobic and whatever else. I just mean, like, you do see how this situation came about, which is that you were like, I'm not a lesbian, but I will tell people that I am a lesbian and hope that that never... <laughs> and hope that that never comes back to haunt me. Um, but like this microphone, it did. Um, so, again, not to be too hard on this letter writer, but, like, that sometimes can happen when you say things that you're like, I hope that this never comes up again. <laughs> it always It will. will come up again. If you have to say, I hope it won't, it definitely will. Yeah, yeah. No, so I do think she owns that a fair amount. Like, I think she's, um, you know, she went with the I am a coward. Yeah, um, I, you're already going through a lot. I don't want to be like, you deserve this. You don't. That's awful. I totally understand. Especially when your mom is like, bisexuals don't exist. It's like... And it sounds like she avoids having serious conversations with her family, and there's no way that fighting with your already homophobic mom about whether bisexuals exist is you totally know, not going to become a serious conversation. Totally. No, yeah, and I mean, Lord knows at various times in my life, I have like banked on, maybe I won't have to have this conversation with my parents about me. And I've always had to. And yet, every, every time. time I've had that thought, I've done the exact same thing as the letter writer, which is like, oh, we're not going to have to talk about this. So I would just like to walk back what I did a minute ago, which was like, you saw this coming, because then I looked back at my own life. And I thought, <laughs> so many times. I literally was like, I bet I could start tea and not tell my parents. And my mom was like, you seem to have so much more neckline acne. Did you start tea? And I was like, Yes. She was like... She's a sharp lady. She's a sharp lady. Sharp lady. She's a sharp lady, and I'm very dumb that I was like, I bet no one will be able to tell. She's, she's the best lady in the world. Which is not to say that you should ask people what hormones they are or are not no. taking. <laughs> I want to be very clear. I, I have a wonderful friend who is a trans lady, and she like we often have this wonderful moment where she had, at one point, before I was thinking too much about whether or not I would transition, she was like, you always dress like you're covering so much up. Why do you think that is? And we always talk about later, like, that was such an inappropriate question for you to ask me, but it was so helpful because there were reasons for that, but you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, again, I don't, don't say that to your friends. It kind of needed to happen, but it was not okay. Life is complicated. Yeah. So, we need to help this person. Yes. So in terms of helping this particular person, as opposed to just all of us and our labels, um, I think that you've got two separate things going on here. One of which is you need to sit your fam down and be like, I am bisexual. I am attracted to both men and women. Um, 
accept the fact that they'll probably be like, then why did the marriage break up? And you're going to have to be like, well, there are other things. Um, and second from that is how you're going to deal with introducing your parents to uh, the lovely trans man that you are currently with yeah. and how to um, do that in such a way as to minimize how bad that experience is going to be for him. Yeah, and, and, and I think there are, you know, the goal of like, how do I make sure that my parents think it's okay that I got divorced and that I'm bisexual? Let go of that goal. That's not something you can control. Um, I, I hope that they do in time, like get to a really good place. Um, it sounds like as, as tricky as they can be about issues of identity and sexuality, they do have like enough buy-in that it feels worth trying with them. So I, I think you have some reason to hope that they will get somewhere good. Um, but you know, I think right now the, the language of like, I think I'm a coward, you know, I, I, I feel in this letter how much you want your parents to just be on board. Absolutely. And I really relate to that. Um, but when it comes to just communicating the information, just make that your goal. Just communicating the information of, I'm not a lesbian, I'm bisexual, and I'm currently involved with a trans guy, and I hope that someday soon you guys will get to meet him. Um, and, and then, you know, if that remains your goal, you can achieve that goal really easily. And then you can also decide, like, is there a limit to, you know, an emotional response that they have that I'm not gonna, like, give room for, like if your mom does a lot of like, that's not real, I, you have my total blessing to say like, it is real, it's important to me. If you wanna ask genuine questions, I'm available for that, but if you just wanna tell me that my sexuality's made up, I'm not gonna have that conversation, let's talk again later. And hang up the phone or leave the room, go for a walk, whatever you have to do. And sometimes that's like a couple of weeks or a couple of months of just, you know, but that's the process of setting boundaries is that sometimes you have to do it over and over again. And, you know, it's, it seems like a, a weird and uncomfortable thing to do, but I know a lot of people who have been helped by this, you know, a parent brings up same thing in conversation, which is a total no-go for you. And you're like, you know, I got to go. Yeah. You know, yeah. And just uh, the natural consequences of that over time do tend to be that people will stop saying the crummy thing to you. Yeah. And I think, too, and again, I relate to this a lot, there's a little bit of a sense of, like, how do I ask them to meet the person that I'm dating now if they decide they no longer approve of the reasons I got divorced? Which is a little, like... I, I relate to that where it's like all of a sudden, you know, with your parents, you feel like you're 15 years old again. Mm. And it's like, if my parents don't think I got divorced for a good reason. Maybe I'm not divorced anymore. Or like I, I'll be in trouble or I won't have their permission or I'll have to apologize. And it's, it's, it's going to happen. I think that your parents may very well not approve of why you got divorced. And you will just need to say to that, I hear you, that marriage is over. Um, I'm not asking you to love that we got divorced, but you do need to accept it. Um, and there's a limit to how much I'm going to be able to revisit that with you. Like, I don't ask mm -hmm. that you love that choice, but it's the one that I made. That marriage ended, and it needed to end. And that's really hard, because I, too, especially when it comes to issues of, like, gender and sexuality, can get very, like, I need my parents to approve of everything right now. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but... Yeah, just make your goal communicating this updated information and saying, here are the kinds of questions I'm happy to answer. Here are the kinds of questions I'm not happy to answer. And oh. then holding that boundary. And also, uh, I strongly recommend finding a friend who is not your partner that you can be having conversations with about how all this is going. Because uh, I, I think, particularly if your parents start saying like transphobic stuff to you while you're going through this, um, obviously you want to talk to your partner. You don't want to dump that. Yeah. all on your partner. You want to very carefully curate the amount of like the initial nastiness that's going to come out of your parents from splashing onto your partner. So find like a good and supportive friend where you can be like, oh my God, my mom said blah, blah, blah. Um, and that just can help you take your emotional temperature on this as you're going forward. And be really honest with your partner about where your parents are at. Again, without going into a lot of detail, like, you know, I, I sometimes have friends where I'm like, don't give me any details, but tell me like whether or not it's cool for me to show up. Um, and, and don't, um, don't let wishful thinking, um, send your partner into an ambush. Oh so, yeah. We're going to the Berkshires together for a week. It's going to go great. Exactly. Don't, don't set up a dinner and hope for the best. Like with your parents, make sure like 
if there is a 5% chance that they are going to ask your partner about his genitals at supper, don't go to that supper. We need it, we need it to be at zero. We need it to be at zero. Zero. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just, and again, that doesn't mean you have to, like, insist on that right away. If, if your parents need a little time, okay. But, but run that interference mm-hmm. and don't set up the meeting. And, and be clear with your partner. Say, you know, like, I want you to meet them. They're a little transphobic. And it just be okay saying that. Like, it's a transphobic society. They're familiar with the concept. He has run into <laughs> transphobic people before. Just... Just, just experiencing some memories in my head of questions I've been asked. <laughs> We're Think about the questions before you yeah, ask yeah. them. Um, but good luck, and this is a lot, and I just mostly I think want to say, especially because I think I started out being a little jocular, um, it, it makes a lot of sense that for somebody whose gender identity or sexuality has remained stable and consistent their whole life to feel like everyone else should be the same way it's super easy for me. And like you feel a little bit like, man, you know, it was one thing to realize I was queer in my last marriage, but this is too many changes. Like I'm doing too much stuff. Um, you're not. Phases are great. Figuring yourself out is fine. Thinking you might be one thing for a while and then later coming to a different understanding is good and necessary. And it happens all the time. I used to smoke a pipe, like a tobacco pipe. <laughs> The two of us used to run a website for women. Do you have any idea how embarrassed I was when I thought I might be a boy? I was very embarrassed. Like, it's fine, but like, people change a lot and that's okay. And you don't need to feel like you are um, like the flighty kid or too hard to understand because somebody's going to throw that it's at you. It's always something that. Like, with you, It's Margaret. always something with Jenny, as Tim said when he met Jenny and Max. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Tim sucks. Don't be Tim. Um, yeah, people change. It's fine. People change genders. That's fine. Like, you can change it a lot if you want. There's no limit. It's not like um, there's no punch cards. Something that's limited. (laughs) Shall I read the next letter for us? Oh yes, please. I'm so mad about it. (laughs) I too am mad about it. By the way, I didn't edit the language so that we can all hate the partner of this person together. (laughs) Subject: I've gotten bigger and boring. No, you haven't. Nope. In the last two years, I've had two children and gone from being a social butterfly with a killer body to a stay-at-home mom with a fairly squashy body, though I'm still a size six. I'm sorry for people who have, like, where numbers are like, about stuff, but I do think it's a, you know, it's, it's a data point. My husband has undergone a similar transformation, but on a less dramatic scale. Yours wasn't dramatic. <laughs> I recently discovered he's joined a private Facebook group where men share soft porn images of women and then comment on their appearance slash what they'd like to do to them. This repulses me. Uh, The images are fairly mild, though hardly PG, but the disrespect and reducing women to body parts makes me so cross. That's something my mother would say. (laughs) When in fact, she's furious. Uh, We have a daughter. I hate that he's reduced to this pathetic version of heterosexual masculinity. Not only do I feel angry, I feel very hurt because I used to look like the women in those pictures and since I don't anymore, my husband has hardly any physical interest in me. (laughs) I don't want to bring this up with him as he's entitled to look at what he wants and I don't think he's made any comments. But how do I deal with my own feelings of anger and inadequacy? Oh, I hate him so much. Just, just send him here. Send him here to Bring him to us. Like a wicker man, you know. <laughs> he gots to go. Oh, my goodness gracious. As a, as a sign to the others and a warning. I, like... So, just to, to make, like, one thing clear. I, it's not evil and wrong to enjoy looking at attractive people. That's not the problem, obviously. Uh, and what's the other thing that I wanted to say? Uh, that was it. Just to be, just like, so that we don't have any misdirection. That's clearly not the problem. Um, I hate him. So And much. I love you. And I, I'm so sorry for everything. I, I'm so sorry for, for everything. I'm so sorry that you've had two children in two years and you use words 
about your own body, like squashy. Like, your body made two human beings in two years. That's killer. And not in this, like, cheesy, like, let's all, like, rah-rah each other up and just, like... That's real. That's... It's such a bigger deal than if he had done an Iron Man triathlon. You know? Which he didn't. Which he fucking didn't. I'd like to point out. Um, oh, the other thing was just, like, I also don't think that, like, having a child means you shouldn't be attracted to people or even talk about pictures of other people. Um, but clearly, the whole, like... I'm gonna join a Facebook group with a bunch of dudes who just feel super entitled to like say what we would do to all these hot women who would not let us do any of those things. Never. While also like making my wife feel bad for giving birth uh, and like not having sex with her anymore because she gave birth. This is also, she is right on the cusp based on the timing of having had you know, her second child. Um, the degree to which you need during that time your partner to be giving you their almost complete emotional and psychological and physical energy. Their best. I would be super annoyed that he was dicking around on Facebook, period, and not helping with my, with my baby and my like, yeah. almost two-year-old. Like, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. First of all, none of us should be on Facebook. We should all be getting off of Everyone Facebook. Everyone off Facebook. That he Go is spending do it more time on Facebook is already a bad sign. That he's spending more time on Facebook being like, Oh, if this woman were here, I would talk to her. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> I just... I hate him. I, yeah, I, the, the degree to which you need to reorient all of your thoughts about your body, about your husband, about your right to say things. Um, like, you don't have to be angry on behalf of your daughter. You can be angry on behalf of you. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, he's entitled to look at what he wants. No, he's not. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, he's not. He's entitled to pick up the children and care for them while you have a nap. Like, the degree to which he has convinced you that like even saying like honey I'd sure like it if you spent a little less time commenting on the fictional sex you'd have with pretend women on Facebook so that you could attend to our real family is like no 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 that would be abridging his freedoms as a man um, as if he were like out there like building you a castle or something like no no it's it's I, I you know and I really like I almost never you know tell people they should get divorced and that's not what I'm saying in this case and especially when people have small children I really never almost say it um, very religious person as a very religious person I want God to smite him down to death <laughs> like that's that's my like I just want him not to be there anymore because honestly I don't think he's contributing anything to the situation. Yeah, you got the kids. What else has he contributed to your life? I mean, I, I don't want to say that lightly because you clearly love him and are also in a point in your life where you feel really down on yourself. Like you feel like there's something shameful about your body. You feel like you failed um, physically, uh, both at like being a woman and, oh. and being a wife. And I'm so sorry for that. I'm feeling um, unloved and unattractive. Um, at, at the very, very least, you two need to have the biggest fight of your lives. Yeah, this. fight this one out. You need to fight about this a lot. You should be like, as mad as that husband in the earlier letter was about the cheating that happened two months into their relationship, <laughs> that's how mad you should be now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. the language horrible person should be on the table. And... And I, I say that mostly because I don't think you will. Like, I, I feel okay being a little You're not going to take it too far. We've read you. Yeah, we, we're clear that you were very, very kind. Um, I'm the most patient person maybe I've ever heard of. But yeah, yeah, this, this stuff about, like, that you are a... Basically, like, in this letter, this letter writer apologized to me for her body. The like, subject that's how line, guilty I've gotten bigger she feels. And boring. Well, like... Oh, did he, did he forget that you would... He chose to have children with you. Like, that doesn't make you boring. The fact that he has decided to not be interested in the work of having children together makes him pathetic, not you dull. You're showing up to work 
And he's acting like, what's all this doing here? I sort of just thought there'd be a couple of 18-year-old kids standing around saying things like, Dad was so great. <laughs> I thought we were done. Oh, oh, does that blinking light on the dishwasher mean that it's clean and someone should unload it? I didn't know that. <laughs> he fucking knows that. So this last one is like... This is a complicated one. Stressful, but complicated. Yeah, and it's, going on no, one, no one needs to be sent to Jerk Island. Uh, subject, my partner's religious mother excluded me on Christmas. What now? I mean, it's not good, obviously. Dear Prudence, my partner and I, he's a man, I'm a woman, have been together for six years and go to his hometown every year for Christmas since my family doesn't celebrate it. Partner's very religious mother always seemed to treat me as one of the family, but ever since his older sister married Kevin in November, she's used... <laughs> Kevin really did it for somebody. Um, uh, she's used the opportunity to draw lines in the sand. At Christmas dinner, she announced that they would need to update the personalized family decorations to include Kevin, and later presented four identical gift bags containing tablets for each of her three children and Kevin excluding me both times. It was humiliating and hurtful. My partner later spoke to his mother and communicated that her behavior was wrong, good, that it was unacceptable to treat me differently than her other children's partners, and that our relationship was no less valid without a marriage certificate. She disagreed, <laughs> while confirming her love for me and justifying her behavior via her religious beliefs, all in one breath. I do not want to give her the power to do this again. She will not apologize and does not think she has done anything wrong. However, my partner is crushed at the thought of missing his favorite holiday with his family indefinitely, even though he understands this may not be salvageable. I don't know if there is a middle ground between refusing to go to her home and being complicit in her treatment. Please help. So I'm glad that your partner said that to his mom, but he should also be crushed at the idea of going home for Christmas and watching you not get presents or suddenly be treated worse because his sister got married. Like and that that changed. That that changed, that she that's used to really be nice disturbing. to you but now there's like an extra wedding ring in the family. A real family. one came. Yeah, exactly. Like, so remind your partner of that. Say like, how would it feel to go to Christmas at your mom's house knowing that I was being excluded at every turn and that your mom already knew how much it hurt both of us and had decided to keep doing it? And if he's honest and he's like, oh, I guess that would feel pretty bad, then, you know, that doesn't mean you have to never go home for Christmas again, but that you can say like, we're going to alternate years and sometimes when we visit your family, if your mom is being a real jerk to me, I'm going to make other plans. And I want you to support me in that. That feels reasonable. And even though your family doesn't celebrate Christmas, you can just be like, it's the middle of December and we want to hang out. Yeah. Fine. It's a great time to do it. He has celebrated so many Christmases. He will survive if you guys do just like a chill movie day one year. Like, people who get really into Christmas, love them. Great. I'm glad you enjoy it. You get so much. So much. And the number of letters that Danny and I have received that include the line, I was told I would ruin Christmas or Christmas was ruined, as though this was something that like a human was possible, like capable of doing without yeah. like a machete. The whole the whole country stops for a month every year for Christmas. Pharmacies become Christmas dispensaries. There is so much Christmas every year. Coffee shops, Christmas. TV, Christmas. The news, Christmas. He's, he is not going to run out of Christmas. Like if he, if he does one year where you guys go see the movies, he will still have gotten so much Christmas. No one's running out. <laughs> Like, we live in a country where NORAD does a thing where they fake track, like, Santa as he makes, you know, his way from the North Pole. It's so much. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, 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 it's fine that he's it's sad. It's too much. I'll I go get so it. far as to say. It's, it, it's totally fine that he's sad, but if he does the kind of, like, oh, no, Christmas, it's like, well, there will be another one next year and another one the year after that, and so on and so on, until we all die. Also, there's every year up until this one. Also, you know, 
If you get together with his parents on other occasions, I don't think they're going to be magically more, you're a real member of the family. Like, if you go to a barbecue with him on Arbor Day, his mom <laughs> will find a way to, like, make you feel less important than Kevin. Yeah, and so I, I, I think, yeah, I'm sure Kevin's fine, but... I'm picturing him as Captain Holtz, Kevin. <laughs> like, that's my visual. It's a lovely gentleman. That does make me feel very warmly disposed right? towards Kevin. It's not Kevin's um, fault. Yeah. But yeah, if she wants to do the whole, like, I just, my religion needs me to be mean to you now, that's totally fine. And, and you can meet that energy. You can do just like, oh, I hear that. I'm going to go. Like, you don't have to have a huge blow-up fight about it. You can just say, like, thank you for letting me know. I will leave. I, you know, I, I get a lot of letters that kind of fall into this category of, like, well, she's always like this. Or, like, well, she's religious. And those kind of feel like two sides of the same coin of, like, therefore you don't really get to expect her to meet you halfway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a bad uh, response to when someone's a real big jerk. No, you can, you can probe those things. You can push back on those two statements. Yeah, because usually what that means is our entire family has developed around the jerkiness of this person. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we have all bent over backwards to accommodate this jerkiness. And like we've all grown around it like a cluster of trees around like a jewel. I do not... <laughs> I think I'm thinking of like The Legend of Zelda, not reality. I was, I was going to go for a different metaphor. Oh, please. Which I believe came from a, a website talking about geek social f- fallacies. Okay. Um, but there is a concept called the missing stare. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still in some of your water. I'm still thirsty. Oh, no, go for it. Thank you. Which is, uh, you know, uh, you go to a place often. There's like one stair that's wonky, and so everyone knows to step over it as they go up. Um, and then a new person comes and plummets into the basement and gets rebar like through their leg. Um, And this can happen in families and even in like, you know, friend groups, especially friend groups where you get together to do some sort of activity like bowling and you just gradually get used to the fact that like Josh is a nightmare. Um, And then when a new person shows up and has been, you know, bowling with you for a while and they're like, wow, Josh is awful and like says kind of like low grade racist things. You're like, yeah, but it does happen a lot, so. That's why we've elected to do nothing. So it's, yeah. Uh, Okay, we are getting the flashing lights. Oh, is that what that's been? I was wondering. Oh, no, how long has it been going? Sorry, Kirsten. We always go so long. We do. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music is composed by Robin Hilton. Production assistance was by Taylor Simmons. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And on today's plus segment... It's not great. It's not great. I, you don't don't have don't have kids. Yeah, this and person, if, don't get married. This if person. this letter writer, you know, hears this and thinks like that seems a little extreme, ask two or three follow up questions with your partner about eugenics and about ableism, and you may find out some stuff that you kind of were content to be vague about previously. Ask very specific questions and pay attention to the answers you get. My guess is you will find out that your partner is kind of an ableist eugenicist, and you will find breaking up with them much easier. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.